This is Recode Media, Peter Kafka. That is me coming to you live on tape from New York City at Vox Media Headquarters. I'm here with an extra awesome guest today, Shea Saran. I'm going to introduce him in one second, but first I want to remind you that Code Media is coming up in November, and if you like this kind of discussion, actually, I don't know how many of these discussions we're going to have on stage, but if you want to hear me talk to people who run the media business, come to Code Media, November 18th and 19th. You can find it on the website. Here is Shea Serrano, who's alternately described as the king of Twitter and also Oprah for millennial men. Have you Googled yourself recently? No, I, I made it a point a couple years ago to just stop. Welcome, Because there was Shea. nothing good on there. I don't but that know. sounds good. Oprah for millennial men. Can, <laughs> can I continue? This is from a, something I found online. He, quote, he's Tony Robbins for guys who think Tony Robbins is an empty shill. Jack Welch for guys who don't care about business. Joel Osteen for guys who find more religion in sports than at church. In short, he's fast becoming an Oprah-like oracle for men. I bow down to you, Shea Serrano. That sounds like a like an over-exaggeration. It's something. But I, can, I can describe you as a New York Times bestseller. Best-selling author. Say, say number one New York Times bestseller. Number one New York there Times bestselling is. author. There it is. Let's go, baby. That was for two books. Uh, the basketball book was number one on the list. The uh-huh. rap book, uh, I think, got like on the four. List. There's a new book, Movies and Other Things. By the time you hear this, you can buy this. If you know who Shea is, you probably have bought it already. Oh, God, I hope so. If you had, have never heard of Shea by the end of this interview, you will go out and buy it. I also hope so for that. One of the reasons people describe you as the king of Twitter is you've got this Twitter army that you mm-hmm. mobilize, and you get them to help you make your books bestsellers. Do you know if this is going to land on the chart? Well, fingers crossed. I, I hope it will. We've got a fair amount of... I guess pre-orders. Yeah, you know, you have until the end of the first week to like collect as many as you can. It's like a contest, basically. So we're in we're in that week now. Yeah, when this comes out, we will be in that week. And do you get data as the day goes along, as the weeks go along, or it just shows up on Sunday? You're gonna look on the list or whatever the day is. I, I ask the, the publisher all day, every day, even though they don't get updates all day, every yeah. day. I'm like, what about now? What about now? What about now? All day. And, I'm just and, terrified. And this is for ego reasons, right? But it's, there's a business reason you want to be a bestseller, right? Well, yeah, I would like to have money and not be poor. Yeah. And selling books is like a good way to do that. And if you sell a bunch of these, you can get another book deal. Yeah, that's how it works. They, they don't just, like a, you know, like a movie director. If your movie bombs, it's, it's harder yeah. to get another one made. Although, weirdly, I have friends who kept getting paid to write books even though their books weren't selling them. Well, I think that probably has stopped by now. <laughs> I think that ended probably a couple of years ago. Yeah, I missed, I missed out on that one. Should we tell people what movies and other things is about, or should they understand that because they've heard the title? No, we should talk a little bit about it, okay. probably. It's great. It is great. Can I, can I give you that I, I mean this in the best possible way, which oh, always means oh, it's an wow. insult? this is going to sound It always bad. means like an insult. It's an awesome bathroom book. Oh, yeah. That, that, I'm, I'm actually very proud of that. See? There you go. I'm, I'm proud to have been included in, like, so many poops already. <laughs> it's, it's really good. It's really good. So besides reading in the bathroom, what else are you going to find in this book? You know, the way that the book is set up, it's a premise that we use in the basketball book that I really enjoyed. Each chapter is a different question, either about one specific movie or like a group of movies uh, that we're trying to answer. And it's got some like art in there. Um, Arturo Torres illustrated it. It's one of the best artists in America. Uh, A lot of it is like silly stuff. Yeah. um, But hopefully like the more you start to peel back on it, it starts to feel secretly smart. I'm hoping. I yeah. don't know. There's, you, dro- you drop little bits of little bits of wisdom throughout the book. Little bits. Like my favorite thing to do is to like come up with a general idea for a chapter, and like this is the point I'm trying to prove, and then I just never say that point. I like write all the way around it, and if the the reader 
hopefully, like if I do a good job, then the reader gets yeah. there and they go like, oh yeah, I get it. And if I do a bad job, then they don't. I'm going to read some chapter titles and oh, okay. get an Here idea of what they're getting. Let's go. There are three of these. What's the order of the gangster movie moment fictional draft, part one, part two, part three? I think that's self-evident, right? You're picking the best gangster movie moments. Over yeah, the course yeah, of yeah. Nobody ever talks about like... Uh, just a character from a gangster movie, they're always like, oh, do you remember the scene? And, you know, yeah. that's how you talk about gangster movies. Which movie had the more intense opening, Face Off or Finding Nemo? That's this will only make sense if you've seen Finding Nemo and or have kids. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you read the chapter, it makes sense. But when you just hear the title, yeah. if you've seen Finding Nemo, you know exactly like that intense opening. Yeah. Same as if you've seen Face Off, you're like, oh, God, these are both terrible ways for a movie to start. Although that's actually almost every Disney movie. It turns out once you have kids, you realize that someone gets killed really early on. Yeah, but Finding Nemo does it the hardest. Finding Nemo, Marlon, the dad, he loses his wife. She gets eaten alive in front of him. She doesn't disappear. She doesn't disappear. She gets eaten alive. And then also the same barracuda that eats her eats 400 of his children in front of him. Well, he's like knocked out. And then the only one left... Is, uh, is Nemo with the little baby fin. I don't think I've shown my kids Nemo for that reason. Skip right past that part. I think they designed, like, I don't know if you have DVDs. I think they designed the DVD like that on purpose. You just hit the fast forward one time, skip the scene. Cool. We're starting from Nemo waking up. It's great. I love it. But, uh, oh, it's, it's dark in the beginning. And you can jump back and forth in this book. Again, it's a, it's a bathroom book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't have to go in order. You go whatever you want. What happened at the Michael Myers press conference? That's the fictional Michael Myers. That's the fictional Michael Myers. That's the dumbest chapter in the book. That's Perfect. also one of my favorites. And then when did Michael B. Jordan break your heart into the most pieces? I was very glad that you got to the correct answer there. Oh, yes. Because okay. there's an asterisk involved, but I don't want to yeah. spoil it for okay. anyone. Although, if you've watched TV... You should know. You know. If you, if you know Michael B. Jordan's, like, yeah, filmography. I am, uh, I'm re-binging The Wire now. Are you really? Yeah, I'm just getting it's, to that point, it's too. It's still so good. It's still really good. I'm doing it with subtitles. Is this— I get a little more. Is this the best TV show of all time, do you think? I think so, yeah. Is it— I mean, it, chapter, season five is not great. Yeah, that's fair. And it, does, it did because that one sort of, like, because it's about journalism and newspapers. I'm like, wait a minute. This isn't realistic and right— and I know about this world, mm-hmm. and David Simon knows about this world. Mm-hmm. So maybe the first four seasons were not actually a documentary <laughs> either. Is that possible? And so now that I'm going back and watching again, I'm like, yeah, it's a great, gritty, realistic, but not documentary, fictional tale. And so yeah. it's about fiction, and it's great. Every time I go, every time I go rewatch an episode of that or a few episodes of that, I'm bouncing back and forth between that one and Breaking Bad for like, what are the just. What the, what's the best TV show of all? It's one of those yeah. two. I feel like it has to be. Yeah. And I don't, I'm like, I, I think season two is great. I don't have any problem with the docs. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, it's fine. I love it. Um, I bet you've done this a lot. But one of the reasons I wanted to have you in to talk was talk about your book, but also just talk about your career and how you got here because it's an interesting story. You want to do the extended version or the short version? Let's go Let's go extended. We've got, we've got we've some got time. time. Yeah. yeah. Um, you started off as a teacher. Correct. Noble, noble profession. And that no, was your plan. That, yeah, that was my plan. My plan was I'm going to teach at a school. I'm going to teach at a middle school. Grew up in? I grew up in San Antonio. So like South San Antonio, almost as an exclusive, like in that area, almost exclusively Hispanic population. Mm-hmm. Every school that I went to was filled with classrooms that everybody looked like me. We, you know, my high school was whatever, a couple thousand kids, and we had a handful of black kids, a handful of white kids, a handful of Asian kids. 
And that was basically, and everybody else was yeah. like a Hernandez or a Ramirez. And so that was like the, the environment I grew up in. I leave, I go to college, whatever. And it, it, everything gets like flipped inside out for me. Now Sam Houston, 15,000 kids. That's the school. That's the school. Uh-huh. Um, maybe like a hundred Mexican Americans on campus and that's it. And it was like, what is going on? Like this whole thing, whatever. Mm-hmm. Going through school, I, I realized I want to be a teacher. So we moved to Houston. This is, I say we, I'm talking about Laramie, who's my wife now. At the time we were dating, I followed her there. That's where she's from. And I uh, was like, well, I'm going to be a teacher. I'm going to start applying at different places. At the time, I was working a construction job because like right out of college. I just want some money. Yeah. I started doing that. I did that for a couple of years, two years. But when I get my certification to become a teacher, I start applying. I'm only applying at schools that look like the schools that I went to, Title I schools, right, where most of the population is like on some sort of government assistance or whatever. You wanted, you intentionally wanted to go teach in school. I wanted okay. to teach, yeah. yeah. So this is, this is, you are motivated by not just money, you want to do good. Yeah, I wanted to like feel important. Yeah. And this seemed like a, like a way to do that. And I, I get a, a job at one of those schools. I start there. I like, by year three, I'm in love with it. Uh, years one and two, the kids just beat the hell out of me. But what, one of two things happens when you like a, when you encounter a, a difficult thing. Like for example, working out is is awful for me. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, I lifted weights one time and I was like, never again. That's terrible. <laughs> this is like the hardest thing I've done. My arms hurt, my legs hurt. I don't want to do this again. So you in, you encounter something hard and you either a quit, which is like my default. As soon as something is difficult, I'm like, nah, never mind. That's normal. But with teaching. I got beat up that whole first year and I was like, I'm going to figure this out. And then I got beat up my whole second year and I was like, I'm still going to, I'm going to figure this out. It was the only time that I wanted to figure out the thing. Year three, I start to get a little bit better. Year four, whatever. I do it for nine years. It's the best job I ever had. And some point in there, I started freelance writing just to make some extra money. Laramie was also a teacher and uh, she had gotten pregnant with twins. We had some like pregnancy complications. She couldn't work anymore. She's on bed rest. It is emergency surgery, whatever. It's time to grow up, right? I need another job. I can't, I apply like Target, Papado, like restaurants, grocery stores, whatever, but I already have a full-time job. So they won't, they're like, you can't work when we need you to work. So we're not going to hire you. And I'm like, well, that sucks. I need something I could do from like home, I guess. I'm at home Googling work from home jobs. Writer is one of the ones that comes up and I'm like, well, shoot, I got a computer and I have the internet. I could probably do that. I'll just do that. But did someone pull you aside and go, this whole plan to make money via writing, That's you don't make money writing. I didn't know. I didn't know. I had no idea. <laughs> no, this, you don't actually make money doing No, because if you read about it on the internet, like beyond, like the first sites that pop up, they're like, here's how you make six figures as a freelancer. Uh-huh. And I was like, I would like that. that. Sounds good. I bought a book that was called Six Figure Freelance or something along those lines. So that like, guy made money. Yeah, that guy made money. <laughs> and, uh, and, but... The book was, like, very antiquated. It was a lot of, like, cut your clips yeah. out, mail them to the—like, this yeah. sort of stuff. But he had some really good information in there. I think it was a man and a woman who were writing it. They had some really good information in there about, like, how to pitch and what editors are looking for and, like, how to fill in holes and, and like, work your way in. And uh, I was able to, like, wiggle my way into, like, some conversations with some people who were able to connect me with some other people. And then eventually I started writing for the Houston Press, which is, like, our version of the Village Voice. So this is when, roughly— 
This is 2008-ish. Right, so we're in internet time, but this is not an internet story, this part of it. This right? is not, no. This, this is, is the same, they would have done the same thing in 1973. Yeah, basically. Yeah. I like went to a, 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 like a little pizza joint by our house. They have a kiosk there with a bunch of neighborhood newspapers in there. I grab each one of those. I grab the Alt Weekly. I'm flipping through them, finding the editors, and then emailing them or calling them. The calling was funny because they were like, why are you calling me? Email me. Yeah, yeah like this conversation. And uh, so I start doing that. Uh, I get on at the Houston Press. I, like, write one or two things. And they have two editors. There are a music editor. guy named Chris Gray. And the editor-in-chief is a woman named Margaret Downing. And for reasons that I still don't understand to this day, they decided, all right, we're going we're gonna to teach you how to be a writer. Right? I was terrible. I didn't know anything was about anything. Was there something you wrote that, like, I like this? I don't. You, I, you would have to ask them. I, they, my, did, they didn't hold it up and go, do more of this thing. No. No. My assumption is they were doing this with everybody because this is just the type of, like, like the, the editor-in-chief of an alt-weekly or the music editor at an alt-weekly is, like, genuinely interested in writing and writers. Yeah. So my assumption is they're doing this with everyone. And I got my chance. And uh, everything they did or said to do, I tried to do, whatever. I, like, build this relationship. And they really were straight up teaching me, here's how you be a real writer. Here's how you request court records. Or here's how you interview a person. Or here's how you disclose whatever. And I did that for four years. And during that time, I'm, like, pitching other places. I'm getting a little more confident. Um, I start pitching. You're still teaching. I'm still teaching. Yeah, yeah. This is all just, uh, you know, nighttime. The kids go to sleep. All right, cool, 9.30 to 11.30 or whatever I'm going to write. And so I'm pitching other places, MTV, ESPN. I'm slowly, like, clawing my way my way up through there. Uh, by, like, 2012 or 13, Bill Simmons shows up. He's at this place called Grantland, uh, which is a part of ESPN. Yep. And he was, like, he was the, the sort of life changer because he was straight up, like, listen, you, I don't know what money you're making as a teacher, but, like, Tell me how much I need to pay you to just write for only me. Did he say, I like this thing you wrote here about that? I want you to do this for me? He emailed me one time early on about um, a thing that I had written. Oh, speaking of, it was about sad Disney character deaths Got or it. something like that. It was something like that. Yeah. The, we, I went and watched the movie Big Hero 6. Big Hero 6. And uh, it starts very the, the yeah. same way. The guy's like family dies. And so I, I wrote about that. And then... And the do, other ones. Do you know if, if Bill like found you on his own or did someone like, no, this hunting is, you down? No, this is a woman named Molly Lambert. Uh-huh. I, I wrote a thing for LA Weekly, this like very silly thing about Drake. And she saw that. She passed it to the editors. She's like, hey, let's have this guy pitch us some stuff. She reached out. I didn't know. I, 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 I didn't have any contact with anybody at Grantland until she showed so up. So he had the equivalent of, of scouts. Yeah, yeah, basically. And, and that's the thing. Like they encourage. I'm at The Ringer now, which is, yeah. you know, he runs as well. And he's like, he wants you to send him new young writers all the time. He's got a really good eye for that sort of thing. Um, so Molly reaches out. I pitched him some stuff. I started working for them, freelance. Uh, and then they were like, come work for us full time. I'm like, mm, I like teaching. Let's do part time. And we did a year of part time. That worked out uh, pretty well. Uh, so I went full time in July of 2015. Uh, quit teaching. Yeah. Full-time writer now, July of 2015. I'm really excited. I'm like fired up. Let's go. October of 2015, Grantland closes. Yeah, because by the time you became full-time, I think Bill had already quit, right? Been pushed out or if I have the chronology right? Yeah, he was. Uh, he had gotten into it with the NFL. Yeah, he had sort e- of fired on the cover on the pages of the New York Times. At ESPN, yeah. And it was like, 
I don't remember exactly how it happened on on his side. I think it was like his contract is up. We're mm-hmm. not going to renew it. I think this is this is what yeah, it was. Yeah, that's how they phrased it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, he was just straight up like. So you get your dream job. So I get my dream job. And then it goes away in three months. And in three months, they're like, you don't have that dream job anymore. And also, you're still on a contract. Uh, we'll let you out of your contract if you want. We're not going to pay you, but we'll let yeah. you out and you can go back to do whatever. Or you can like write it out. And I was like, I'm going to write it out. And you're going to give me a check every two weeks. And they're like, yeah, and I'll, I'll take that option. And the requirement is that I do not write. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, all right, cool. And so I did that. So for like, you know, seven, eight months, I didn't have anything to do. So that part's very internet-y, getting hired to work at a website and then getting paid to not yeah. write for the website. Welcome to the internet uh, writing world. That was like my first introduction. So I'm doing basically nothing for a while. A- at this point, the Rap Year book has come out that same month, October. That was your first book. That was the first one. Um, it becomes a bestseller. So, you know, we get some like opportunities start showing up and I'm like less worried about it. Um, and then also I hear that Bill is like starting a thing with with a couple of other people, and I'm like, ooh, I hope I can like slide in there, yeah. cross my fingers. I assume and there's hope. like a long line of Grantland people going, hey, are you I imagine. I mean, it, it, and beyond just Grantland people, like everybody, sure. you know, Grantland was a spot everybody wanted to work, and then we hear that this new thing is starting up, and you're just like, well, if Bill is there, Sean is there, Juliet's there, Chris is there, Mallory's there, yeah, that sounds good. That sounds like a good start. Um, so you're just sort of waiting, um, and then. Fortunately, 16 rolls around, they hired me, and I've been there ever since. So and, one of the reasons I'm always interested in career paths, one, because people's stories are interesting, and also I, I try to think about how getting a job is different today than it would have been pre-internet, how right. that changes. Like we talked about at the begin- beginning of your career would have been the same for any, any of the previous several decades. Mm-hmm. Grab papers, send out letters, clips, and then at some point you end up working on the internet, and so it changes there. Right. But the rest of it's pretty standard, though, right? You write for a very small paper, bigger outlet, bigger outlet. I think it would be different today if you were starting out. Oh, absolutely. Right? Like, if you're starting out today, and you are a teacher, right, mm-hmm. and you want to decide you want to become a writer, what, what do you think you do? I think I would do the little bighorn. Remember the social network? Yeah. You ever see the social network? Sure. And they talk about that, and they like— Also one of your chapters here. Was, also there. What's better, that or get out? They they want to get on, like, a certain campus, and they can't get there, so they, like, populate around it mm-hmm. and then work their way in. I think you got to go that way. It's, like, it's so impossible. It's still the same way, right? It's right for small things. Yeah. I, I, I worry—I think think slash worry about, like, would you just exist as a writer on Twitter, and what would that teach you? Could it teach you some bad stuff, but maybe some good stuff, too. Yeah. You look at somebody like Jason Concepcion, who he also works at The Ringer. Yep. He's, you know, one of the most creative people on the internet, but that's does, how uh, he started. He does the NBA desktop. He video, does NBA desktop, which won a, an Emmy. Yeah. Like, this is a guy who started out just on, he was making jokes on Twitter, and I think it was Chris Ryan found him that way. And then he grew this career. And if you follow that line, like, that's why it makes so much sense that he would do something like NBA desktop, which is built to exist on the internet. Like in a very specific way. Yeah. And it's so good and it's so smart. And it's one of those shows where you watch it and it's so obvious that this should have been a thing for a couple of years now. Yeah. And he does it and everybody goes, oh, duh. It's this is incredible. genius. It looks like they slapped it together. It actually, you can tell if you think about it, like all, there's so many little cuts and stuff that it took time to put together. Um, and the, one of the things I love about it is that, one, it looks like it's very insidery. Mm-hmm. It's both insidery to basketball and insidery to the ringer. The, there's internal jokes yeah. about ringer staff. But you can not know any of it and absorb it. And then the other thing I like about it is everyone's always trying to go, oh, what, what do young people, how would young people like to introduce this? And usually yeah. it's like, 
it's just lame, right? It's like an older person's idea of what a young person should look like. Right. Right. We used to laugh at this during the Gen X days. You'd have like a, you'd have like a crazy <laughs> guitar rift. And that was supposed to make it sound wacky. Um, but this is just native, right? It's like showing people working on Google Docs. Yeah. But they don't say, we're working on the Google Doc now. They just show the Google Doc, and the assumption is everyone knows how to make this, and everyone knows what that looks like. Yeah, Jason came up on the internet. It's like Bane in the Dark Knight. Like, I was born in this, molded <laughs> by it. That's Jason. We need to take a break. Let's take a break. We're, like, way overdue for a break, but then I we'll love go right a break. back. Okay, right back. Back here, still here with Chase Serrano. I want to talk to you more about your writing. Okay. You mentioned yeah, you're Mexican-American, mm-hmm. Hispanic. Sometimes you refer to yourself as Mexican. It comes up in your writing, and I think it comes up in an interesting way. Sometimes it's just okay. a biographical element. Um, but sometimes you've got a whole piece sort of centered around that, and sometimes you sneak in a whole bit about race in America and what it means. Um, you've got a whole section on the movie Friday. Mm-hmm. One of the great things I like about the book, by the way, is you don't have to have seen the movies to enjoy reading about them. Right. Never seen Friday. Right. Uh, and then you've got a whole section in there about what it meant as a Mexican-American to see a black, a movie made by black people for black people mm-hmm. and how it sort of opened up your mind. Mm-hmm. And you do that a bunch in your writing where it's, you're not, it's not this is an essay about race right. or class, but you pepper it in there. How, how much do you think about introducing those ideas into what is often a light-slash-silly-slash-dumb story or idea. I typically plan all of that stuff out ahead of time. Yeah. Uh, I, I want for it to do two things. I want for it to feel conversational, um, but also I want for it to be sort of informed and, and, and nuanced. That's important. It doesn't, it doesn't work if you're just, like, glancing at an idea but not getting quite there. So there's some work that goes into it, um, ahead of time. But as far as like deciding when to do it or where to do it, it's like a byproduct of the way that I write all the stuff, which is before I write anything down, it doesn't matter what it is, a a book chapter, an essay, an article, um, whatever. Before I write it down, I've got like some notes that I take. And then I take those notes and I have a conversation, like an actual conversation with an actual person. In most cases, it's Laramie because she's around um, the most. Every once in a while, it's like a a cousin or a friend of mine. But I'll be like, hey, uh, let, let me run this idea yeah. by you. And then we're just going to have we're a conversation. Yeah. yeah, we're going to talk about we're going to talk about the about the movie Friday. We're going to talk about the movie Selena. We're going to talk about Joker. And we'll have a conversation and I'll have my notes and I'll be, you know, throwing this stuff out and you'll say some stuff back much like what's happening here. And then I'll take all of the stuff that we just did in my head, sort of catalog it all and then write it out. So like if I was writing a biography of some sort, mm-hmm. I would take this conversation that you and I just had yeah. about the, the career because you're asking questions, you're pushing in a certain direction, you're, you're like making it more full. If I can take that and get it on the page somehow, then when you're reading it, it doesn't feel so much like this is a guy standing on the mountain throwing lightning right. bolts down. It's like, I'm, I'm, it, this feels like I'm having a conversation, but like a one-way conversation, like I kind of don't get it, but I get it. So you have a very conversational style. I really appreciate it, mm-hmm. um, which is a hard, it sounds easy or it looks easy and is a hard thing to do because mm-hmm. you see people doing it poorly all the time. Yeah. Um, Bill sort of nailed that. But when it comes to stuff like race and just race class, right, I find that generally when people are writing about it, people either don't write about it. They go, I don't want to write about it. I don't want to touch it. I don't see color. Why is this being introduced into my sports yeah. or whatever it is? Or why are you introducing politics? Or it's specifically a piece about politics or sports or mm-hmm. politics or race. And they kind of, and you're doing this thing where you're getting in interesting and provocative, useful ideas, but you're sort of bringing them in the, the side door sometimes. Yeah. 
it's not really a question. I just more, <laughs> I'm just more impressed with it because I think there's stuff in there that if you wrote it a different way or inverted and said, this is a story about race and, fr- and the movies, and the right people, a lot of people would tune out. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't work like that because people, I don't, I don't, I can't speak for everybody, but I don't talk that way. I can tell just hanging out with you for, you know, we've been in here for 30 minutes, an hour or whatever. You don't talk that way either. There's never a straight line of stuff. Mm-hmm. It always goes off into the side a little bit. And when you get off into the side a little bit, that's when, like, the interesting stuff works. If we're talking about, like, what's your favorite whatever, you're not just going to go, oh, my first favorite is this, my second favorite is this, my third favorite. Yeah, you're gonna, I happen to have all those answers cataloged in my head. Here yeah, here. you're going to hit, like, one or two, and then you're going to remember a thing, and you're going to start talking about that, and it will lead to something else. You know who doesn't do that? It's politicians. Yeah. And then people who answer questions professionally for a living. Like yeah, yeah, people yeah. come in here. Well, I'm glad you asked me that. And they have the can thing. Yeah, exactly. And and when you're doing it the other way, when you're just sort of following where your nose is taking you, you get into the to the interesting stuff. And, it, and then it makes sense. For me to be like, I'm going to talk about this movie, um, and then there's some other stuff going on because this is this. You can see how we got there, yeah, and how we're going to get out and get back to the movie. Speaking of sides, by the way, you've got oh, some, let's go. You've got some line in there about how Miller's Crossing is a movie you should like, <laughs> but really you should you'd like it more if you worked harder in college. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know, man. I, I think you're missing it. That is a great movie. It is you can, a great you movie. You can show up not knowing anything, and it's got an all-time great action scene. Yeah, right with the Tommy guns. Yeah. No, the Miller's Crossing is a wonderful movie, and you can absolutely watch it without having any knowledge about anything. Yeah. That, that was and you can wor- take it at full face value. You can take it at full face value, but there's so much stuff packed in there. There's so much nuance in, in the language, in, like, the setup of the mm-hmm. scenes, in, like, the very meta, like, oh, you, this is how you kill the guy, and then we, and then we leave. Like, there, yeah. it, it's all tied together. And I think if you're, like, a really smart person, you can watch that movie and take away a lot of stuff that I couldn't quite get. Um, yeah, to me, it sounds like you're describing Barton Fink. Yeah. Where I felt like I just didn't get it, and why did that bird drop out of the water? Right. The water at the end. And, but I didn't ever want to go back and unpack it, whereas Miller's Crossing, I just could watch it over and over. Yeah, exactly. So I'm watching this movie. I rewatched all of them for that for that particular chapter. I rewatched that one. And the first person that makes me think of is Sean Fennessy. He's, he's at The Ringer. Yeah. And he's like the movie guy at the ringer. He's an exceptionally smart, like just well-read, just knows everything about everything. And when I watched it, I said, oh, Sean, I know Sean loved this movie. Let me, let me ask him. And I sent him an email. And I was like, Sean, do you love Miller's Crossing? How do you feel about this movie? And he replied back with an email. And it was a picture of a framed Miller's Crossing poster. Yeah. Like the person who loves Miller's Crossing has a Miller's Crossing poster in there. I, I, I feel more that way about like a Bronx Tale. That's your. That, that's uh, well. I don't want to spoil anything. That's that's, that's, that's that's my movie right there. I've never seen it. You should. You should watch it. I know. I guess. No. No. Not. I guess. Okay. Not. I guess. It's the one movie that doesn't get brought up in the like Goodfellas conversation, Godfather conversation, yeah. Scarface conversation that absolutely deserves to be in there. Can it's we incredible. do a? Can we make a top five list of of Shay's movies you got to go watch right now if you haven't watched? Oh sure, for sure. Here we go. Number one, Selena. Okay. See, have you seen Selena? Nope. Oh, yes. Okay. I'm one for one. Yeah. Uh, I'm just looking at you right now trying yeah, yeah. to guess. A Bronx Tale. Nope. You, you already told me that yeah. one. Okay. It's a freebie. Number three, Blood In, Blood Out. Nope. Yes. I'm three for three, what baby. What is that? What is Blood In, Blood Out? Blood In, Blood Out is a Chicano gangster movie uh, or Chicano crime movie. Uh-huh. Crime and gangster movie are, are, are different things. But it's about um, three like half-brothers, half-cousins, one of whom is half-white and half-Mexican, and he is trying to like— 
distance himself from the white family, from the white side. His, his father's like this abusive guy, and he's like, I don't want to do this anymore. He, and he's trying to get accepted in the Mexican-American community, and he can't quite get there because of his, he's got, like, blonde hair. Yeah, it's like the Tom Hagen problem. Yeah, Godfather. that's exactly yeah. what it is. But it's like the Mexican version of that. And it's like it's three hours long. It's really, really is it, good. Is it high art or low art? It's high art. Okay. Well, I don't know. I think it's high yeah. art. All right. Every movie I've said so far, is, I think Armageddon is high art. Like it's like a level. Okay. All right. Once so you get, <laughs> I got it. All right. So we, we 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 did three. We got two more. Okay. Give me give me two more. Give me something's got to give. Have you it's seen not, it? I must have seen that. Right. Diane Keaton, Jack Nicholson. Oh no! It's one of the. It's one of the. Uh, it's a rom com. But it's one of the ones where like the the kitchen is the main star. Yes, Nancy Myers. Yeah. Yeah. What, yeah, yeah. what was the other one? She was Steve Martin. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. She, it's rich she, people with really nice kitchens. She nails it. Yeah. Nancy Myers, nor ever like. One of the one of the legends in the genre. Yeah, you do have a whole Diane Keaton chapter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And um, you know a movie I, I hadn't seen before I worked on the book? Coffee. Have you seen Coffee? Uh-uh. Pam Greer, 1974, I think, or something like that. I had never seen this before. I'm writing about action movies. Yeah. And I was like, I, 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 I keep reading about this. I've seen like several other exploitation movies. I need to see this one. And it's it's one of the movies where you watch it, and after you've seen all the other movies— you like go, a bunch oh, of other action movies. This is where like, this came from. Oh, I get it. Yeah. Like they're all, they're, you know, this is a hat tip to that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You watch like a Jackie Brown and you go like, oh, duh. Yeah, that's the only Pam Grier I've seen. Yeah. But I love that one. Yeah, it's really good. She's, she, I mean, she's incredible like in basically everything. Coffee especially. Okay, I'm going to guess that, that the people who listen to this podcast may have the same, may have not seen those either. So that's your free, here's some free content from shit. Well, the whole boom. thing's free content, but that's, those are your recommendations. Yeah, watch those. Watch those. You don't have to watch those two. I've read the book, but if you watch those, you're going to have a better understanding of like the world you live. That is the other thing about this book is you want to stop, put it down, go, do I, is that streaming? Yeah. In the old days, you'd go back to your DVD collection, but that doesn't exist anymore. But that'll can happen I, can every I once watch? in a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot. Especially with like the, the gangster movie moments one. Can I go to YouTube or, and watch this scene? Yeah. Can I see Joe Pesci squeeze that guy's eye out of the vice? There's a there's like a whole section in there about action movie kills, and you're like, oh, I can watch this on YouTube right now. Yeah. Awesome. It should come with like a little YouTube. I bet there's one. I bet, I bet we made one, and I bet it's out there. I want to ask you about Twitter, because I referenced it a few different times. Okay. What's your Twitter following right now? How many, how many oh, folks they, are listening to you? Uh, probably like 301,000 okay, or something so like that. That's really big. It's not, not bad, the biggest. Yeah. yeah. But you have this thing, and I've noticed this in podcasting a lot, where you have a, a fan base where the quality or the intensity of the, fo- the followers is much more important, right? So you can, again, you've talked about this a bunch, but what you can do is mobilize this people to go buy your book. Mm-hmm. And then often raise money for charity. Yeah. What's the what's the most you've raised for charity? The most that we did was when Hurricane Harvey happened, and we did $134,000 in like 12 hours or something like that. That's spur of the moment. That was spur, of the, all spur of the moment. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. None of this stuff is planned. We don't have like a nonprofit in place. The reason that we stopped it or the reason that it got to 134 and not like we probably could have done 200, 250. But that, that was the most we'd ever raised. Up until that point, it was like 10, 12, 15, maybe, $1,000. Um, the hurricane happened. I was in San Antonio. We were all sort of stranded, and I was like, I don't know what to do. I'm going to raise money to donate to these people who are on the ground. And it just took off immediately. And, like, my phone is going nuts, nuts, nuts. And I'm watching the money climb up. And we get to, like, 80, 90, 100, 120, and I start to panic. I'm like, I'm going to go to jail. I don't know why this feels suddenly, like, illicit. Uh-huh. And... uh 
thankfully. I shouldn't have this much money coming in. I shouldn't have this much money in like my Venmo and PayPal account. Uh Thank God the people from Venmo reached out, the people from PayPal reached out because they saw all the action. Mm -hmm. And and they sort of took over everything. They were like, just tell us the charities because most of the charities are on PayPal anyway, and we can disperse all of the monies for you. So I didn't have, it didn't like. Were you going to violate some money transfer laws? I don't, I don't know. I was like. I was thinking about every story I'd seen about a movie star who went to jail for not paying taxes. Uh-huh. And I was like, I don't know what, how you this is You don't want to be Wesley Snipes. I did not want a Wesley Snipes myself. I did not want to mic the situation myself. I didn't realize that mic <laughs> the situation had a tax problem. And uh, so Venmo, Venmo, PayPal, they like handled everything for yeah. me. Thank God. And then we've had, you know, any sort of fundraising stuff now, I can reach out to them and be like, can you help me get this here? So where did this start, right? Because this exists prior to the book. Yeah. Um, where, where do you develop a following it's a, and when did you get onto Twitter and how did you find your voice there? Is it a different voice than the books? It seems like it's the same thing. It's the same thing. It's yeah. all the same thing, which is why it like works the way it works. Um, there's no, you get, you get off of Twitter, you read the page and you're like, this is the same guy yeah. who wrote this, this thing. So when did, so when did it click for you? Like, oh, this is a thing that I can use. That didn't happen until the rap yearbook. So 2015, I had been on Twitter before then, just like in a, in a sort of passive way or making jokes about basketball or whatever, just on here having some fun. When the rap yearbook came out um, and I realized people were responding directly from Twitter and going to buy the book at different places, right? Because we did, we did a coloring book in 2013, which was just, it was me and this guy, Bun B, who's like one half of UGK, a very famous rapper in, in like the South. Me and him did a coloring book together. I drew all the pages and we put it out. And when the book came out, I was like, I don't know how to get people to buy this book. Let's try to get as much press as we can. And we were like in all of the main places you would want to be. And then the book came out and it did like 900 copies the first week. And I was like, I guess that's good. I don't know. I yeah. never sold the book before. Um, the Rap Your Book came out two years later. And I was like, I'm going to try a different thing. I know I, I, like, I saw the results here. That's cool. Let me see if, if this like is better or worse. So the rap yearbook, I was just straight up like trying to do giveaways, trying to like, it was dumb stuff too. It was yeah. like, if you send me your pre-order right now, I'll DM you a picture of, a, of, a, of an emoji, a secret <laughs> emoji, don't tell anybody. And I realized very quickly, oh, people just like want this interaction and it made it more fun for me. It made it more fun for everybody else. So we were doing that. We got like, I don't know, a couple thousand pre-orders, not a lot, 2,000 pre-orders, but I was really surprised at the the difference. And then when the book actually came out, then people were like really jumping on it. We sold out like at Amazon, we sold out at Barnes & Noble, we sold out at Books & More. So do you think it's something about Twitter? Do you think it's about your personality? What do you think makes that an effective conduit for you? I think Twitter is like a natural place for me to be because it's text-based, it's fast-moving, uh, it allows you the opportunity to make jokes with people, but also to like, you can have a private conversation with somebody. Uh, like if they, if you see a message in your mentions, you could just click the button and there's a little envelope there and you could be like, hey, are you doing all right? Like, what's good, man? And they'll usually respond back and like, I don't know, that's just like a, a cool thing to do. And if you do that long enough, it eventually starts to feel like you're friends with people. Yeah. You told me before you were nervous about the, the book tour and part of it was getting yelled at on Twitter though, right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. The, the negativity does bother you even though you, you live oh, in it. Oh, 100%. I, I wish I could be one of those people who's like, who can just sort of shut it off or even they say they shut it off and maybe they don't, but they're like... They don't read their mentions. I don't yeah. anybody who says that. And I don't know. I can't... If I see a mean thing, it's it sucks. It hurts every single time. It doesn't matter 
what this is. Like, I could get 40 nice messages in a row, and then I get one mean one, and it just is like, ugh. Like, that really hurt my feelings. Does it matter whether it's about your work or something else? It matters if it's about my work. If somebody, I, I can tell if somebody just doesn't like me as a person. Yeah. Like, if I'm tweeting about Trump or whatever, I like I get it. That part doesn't bother me at all because it's just a bunch yeah. of idiots. Um, but if someone's like, oh, you screwed this book up, you missed this or you missed that yeah. or you should have done it this way, like, that always hurts. It doesn't matter. It doesn't even matter who it is. Does it you, matter whether it's a valid criticism or not? Because I find the stuff that kills me is the stuff I'm like, mm, there's at least some element of truth to that. Yeah, absolutely. That 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 hurts, but also even if it even if there's nothing there, it still it still stings. There's no way around it. I wish there was. I wish there was a way to not have that part. But if you're going to be like open on Twitter and like expressing your feelings, like that's part, of, you know, you're opening yourself up for that as well. Yeah. But yeah. you're staying in that. You're st- you're not you're not going to quit now. Yeah, or, it's, more, it's or more write a story about how you're leaving Twitter. It's more good than bad for me. It's you know, 95% good. I think that's mostly right. Yeah. But again, I I don't really get yelled at and nothing bad's happened to me on Twitter, so. It's way different for other people. I give you an example. I went to a dinner one time with this guy named Nick Wright, who he's on Fox Sports Net now, mm-hmm. or Fox Sports 1, and he has a TV show. And we were just it was the first time we'd met in person, but we'd interacted on Twitter a couple of times. This is in Houston. And he was like, "Let me see your your mentions. Let me see, let me, you know." I was like, "All right." And I pulled it up and it was like, "Oh, hey. Ha ha ha, great story or whatever." Oh, look, I got engaged. And he was like, look at mine. And it was like, I fuck, I hate you. You're the worst. He was talking like, like about LeBron James or just something. Sports, though, Just right? something sports. And people were going nuts. The same thing happened when I was like interacting one day with Katie Nolan on the internet. Yeah, who we've had on this podcast. Yeah. Katie Nolan is fantastic. Super funny, super smart. And uh, we were bouncing back and forth. And then I like got caught up in the wave of her like normal mentions and it was like awful stuff mm-hmm. and I'm like you have to look at this all day long every day this is terrible there's no way I could do it yeah yeah I'm not like a strong enough it person does seem mentally. like being a woman on Twitter is a whole it's, it's a, different experience yeah. even just talking to my coworkers who just the, the random shit they get yes no one's ever sent me a dick pic no I'm not encouraging you to <laughs> if I, you do I don't mind but I'm just saying huh? I've never no one's ever sent me one yeah it's wild it's wild how different it is for the, just like you move over two or three inches, and now you're in a line of fire. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, you're still on it. Well, I was Googling, because that's how I do my research. Um, <laughs> I saw a reference to a, a, a TV deal with Mike Schur from The Good Place. Oh, yeah, yeah. Did, that that, was, did, that, did something come of that? No, we sold the pilot, and then we did that whole thing, and then it, like, died on standard, the vine. Standard, standard yeah, experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then you're doing something else with Questlove? That was cool. Oh, yeah, yeah. That one got through. Um, so that one is from the Rap Year book. A production company bought the rights to it. They pitched it to different, uh, a few different places as like a six-episode documentary, and AMC bought it. So that's actually out. I don't know what day. What day will this podcast be out? A couple days from now, Thursday. Okay, so so then you'll see it on Sunday. Sunday will be the first episode. You can see it. This episode. And what is it? Yeah, it's called Songs That Shook America. It's six episodes. Every episode is about a different like rap song that was important oh, for whatever that's reason. What I like. Yeah, and Questlove. Uh, Black Thought from the Roots, our producers on it. Angie Day was a. Do you have something from my era, thing. from early nineties, yes. late eighties? We got we got a lot of good. We we have Jesus Walks by Kanye West. We've got we've got Rock Box. We've got Ladies First. We've got Outcast. Ladies First. Queen yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Outcast, Elevators, Kendrick Lamar. All right, and there's one more that that uh, I'm I'm blanking on right now because I don't have the thing in front of me, but. Good. It's really good. All right, I'm going to watch yeah. it. You should watch it. I didn't have anything to do with it. 
Perfect. Uh, I just got out of the way. I, I, I again, I realized very early on, y'all know what you're so doing. So they optioned here. something from you and then said, we're going to take it from here. And you said, Great. they didn't, no, they were like, do you want to help us with this? And I said, yeah. And then I like sat on a phone call and it was, and I was way over my head. Uh-huh. I don't know how to make a show and I don't know more about uh, rap than Quest Love and Black Thought. And I was like, uh, y'all got it. Send me <laughs> it when it's done. And then they send it to me and I was like, oh my God. I get to put my name and on your this. Your name's on it? That's great. This is incredible. So you're you're still living in San Antonio. Correct. Full-time writer. Correct. Ringers in LA. They're mm-hmm. very interested in video and docs and I presumably movies. Mm-hmm. Does that world appeal to you? Yeah, like, I like all that stuff. Like, like doing those kind of projects or you want to stick stick to writing for the most part? <sighs> writing or books, books writing books is part. my favorite thing. Um, because it's the it's like the one thing you can work on where you have the most control. Um, you start working on other stuff and you, you have to like learn how to brainstorm with other people, compromise on different different things. Uh, I'm sure eventually I will do some of that. That collaborative um, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's tougher. Um, it's tougher unless you end up with somebody like really smart. Or yeah, that's something that you're just naturally good at and know how to do, and right? But like I, yeah. I, get, I get the appeal like I'm going to go into my basement or yeah. whatever you, wherever you write, uh-huh. and maybe I'll bounce stuff off with my, my wife or whomever, but it's really it's my, my thing, and if the words are good, you can credit me, and if they suck, uh-huh. you can blame me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, the other thing about the book, though, is like you don't have to be anywhere else. Like if you sell a movie or a TV show, you're going to spend some time in L.A. or New York, yeah. like a significant amount of time. And at the moment, I'm like, eh, I'm good. Like I got email in San Antonio, and I yeah. can email you my doc. I'm I'm. I like this. You're a smart man, Shay Serrano. I'm glad you're in New York today to come talk to me. That's me great. too. I was so excited. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks to you guys for listening. Thanks to Jelani and Joel and Zach for putting this all together. Thanks to our advertisers who let us listen to this for free. This is Recode Media. See you soon. <laughs>